It's Wednesday again and we are ready to continue in interviewing teachers. This episode has a few specials. It is our last regular episode before the summer, so you'd better enjoy it because for the next two months there will be no regular interview. There will be a lot of funny bonuses for sure, but still, enjoy! And it is also the reason why we are presenting you Rasmus right now. Because the talk with him was a lot of fun and we are sure he will put you into the right summer mood. On today's show you're gonna hear laughing. Anna, Mishka, Rasmus and Mishka and Mishka and Mishka and... Wait for the second half and you'll know what I am talking about. Welcome Rasmus, thank you for joining us, thank you for being the first out of the teaching yeah. arena uh, to join us on the podcast now. Uh, Glad so to welcome. be here, thank you. Um, well, we we checked your your academic background a bit and, and we saw you did a lot of linguistics and mm-hmm. uh, as for us, two linguistics survivors, uh, <laughs> we can say that the best thing that came out of it was that we met. Uh, <laughs> so what, what drew you to linguistics? Exactly. What drew me to linguistics? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I always did well in the language classes when I was in back in elementary school. And I had a great liking for Danish, studying Danish. And then English came fairly natural to me um, sometimes. I've lost it since then. Um, but um, um, then I started university at here at the at the University of Southern Denmark as a as a student of English and took some courses and you know you have they have three pillars you need to do some literature you need to do history British and American history as it was back then and then you do some linguistic courses and it was actually funny it was my first semester at the, at the university and we took phonetics which I'm sure you Ooh. have tried oh yeah <laughs> study of sound sound patterns and so on phonology and this was on the old grading scale that went to 13, which was a grade that was never given, basically. It didn't exist. <laughs> so it went to 11 and then 13, which, which nobody was ever awarded. I think two people had gotten that grade since the 70s or something like that at the university. Two people. And I got it. So I, wow. got, a, I got a 13. <laughs> and then I was like, huh, I wonder maybe... Yeah, whatever. It was a fluke. I was lucky that day. And then I took the grammar course and I got a high grade again and then general linguistics course and got a high grade. And then I was like, oh, what, the, what the fuck is Must going on? Must be a on? sign. Oh, sorry. Can you say fuck on that? Yeah. <laughs> you can. Yeah. So I don't know if it was a sign, but uh, but then I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I like this. This is fun. Didn't think much about it. Did well. Didn't know what, uh, what I was going to do. Maybe become a high school teacher or something like that. Didn't know. And then I, uh, the reason why I studied in Odense was because they had some of what they call bilateral exchange agreements with American programs. Back then it was Ohio University, University of Wyoming, and then California State University in Bakersfield. And I was like, yeah, where should I go? Where should I go? And then at Ohio University, you would become a grad student, but you would become a bachelor's student at the other university. I was like, yeah, this is probably the best school. I'll just go there. It looks nice. It looks green. They have everything <laughs> you need. They have basketball, which I played and enjoyed a lot uh, oh, at that okay. time. And I was like, yeah, I'll just go to Ohio, or I applied for it. It's not like I was guaranteed the spot. I, I applied to go. And I went and took some more linguistics courses, and Lord and behold, I continued to do well. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, during that year, I didn't think much about it. I was just going to go back to Denmark, finish my studies, and so on. Then they offered me a scholarship. 
say, hey, Rasmus, you know what? If you come back here, um, we would uh, offer you a full scholarship uh, to, uh, to study linguistics, but also teach introductory level linguistics. Was it a war for your good grades? Yeah, yep. basically for, for my good grades, I think. And also my English was good, good enough so that, that American students would understand it and not throw me <laughs> okay. at me and <laughs> run me out of the classroom. <laughs> So I think that was it, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this." So I was just, "Yeah, it's, it's too much. Two years in Ohio." At that point, I'd already lived lived in the states for two years. One year in Mississippi, the mid '90s, the deep, dirty South, and then one year in Ohio. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll just, I'll go back." And then I went back, and I was like, ah, "You know what? This sucks being back too. Maybe I still have a couple of years I want to spend in in the states because I love the states." I Basketball. That's why I loved it. You know, I <laughs> played basketball, watched, and then all my favorite music genres came out of the states. And I was like, yeah, sure, yeah. But what if you get a master's degree in applied linguistics, which is basically to become an English teacher? So with a lot of pedagogical courses and teaching pedagogy, I was like, oh, fuck. What should I do? Then I called the professor in Ohio who had offered me. The scholarship or said that or encouraged me to apply because yeah. she thought I would have a good chance of getting accepted and I was like yeah maybe I should just try to go all the way see if I could have a career in the, the academic world and um, so I called her up and I was like yeah you know what I'm I don't know what I should do with a degree in applied linguistics but do you think I have a chance of actually getting a PhD at some point I know this is early in my career I'm in my early 20s at that point and um, and but I, I don't know what do you think and then of course she was good at negotiating which I <laughs> teach now and she was like, Rasmus after two years with us I think you will have an excellent chance of it. <laughs> I was like oh, sold Jesus and then and, and you pay for it right yeah yeah we pay for it you get a full scholarship you get health care and then you get a stipend for teaching an introductory level course which was a huge opportunity because not that many okay. people get um get the opportunity to teach at the university level in their early 20s. So I was like, okay, that's, uh, that's great. So it was just like one thing led to the other. And mm -hmm. then I agreed that if I went back to Ohio to do my master's, then I would apply to graduate schools in the US for my PhD. All right. uh, because then I just, well, since I'd actually worked my way up a little bit in the American system and had teaching experience, then, uh, then I would uh, would go from there. And then I applied to seven different schools, I think, and uh, got into four or five, if I remember hmm. correctly. Nice experience. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you've decided on your academic career quite yeah in your early twenties, as you said, and you stick to it. Pretty pretty much. Quite good. And now I've taught for uh, for more than twenty years, yeah. and I'm in my early forties now. So mm -hmm. yeah, so it's been uh, that's why I have so many gray hairs on my. Uh, <laughs> So do, you, do you like it? Well, I'm, I'm assuming you must, but... <laughs> well, I mean, I like like it enough to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, lo I love doing it. It's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's hard work, too. I mean, don't get into this field because it's all, always going to be fun. It's a grind and a lot of boring meetings and a lot of, a lot of administrative stuff you have, to, you have to deal with. And that's getting worse and worse if unless you like that stuff and some people really love that the brute 
but yeah, it's, I, I love it. I love the interaction with students. That's always fun. <laughs> they talk a lot of shit to me. So <laughs> but we try to keep it professional. <laughs> uh, you mentioned dirty, deep south. How was yes. the life there? Well, I mean, you have to think this is back in the mid-90s. Mm. And I grew up in the, the rough and dirty streets in Fredericia, Denmark. And... The deep south was pretty far away, and this was back in the day where you could decide the country that you wanted to go to, but you couldn't decide where you wanted to go. Everybody, of course, wanted to go to California, Florida, and I was like, yeah, what are your wishes, Rasmus? Where do you want to go? Yeah, I want to go to the north, because I don't like the racists in the south. I don't want to hang out with them. I want to go to the north in the U.S. I want to be in a, uh, in a big city, because they probably have basketball. Oh. And, uh, <laughs> and I want to go to a big public school. Son, you're going to Mississippi. So I was like, <laughs> it was the that opposite. Well. Yeah. And I was like, what? I wish the exact opposite. So I went to the most rural area you can imagine in the U.S., just south of Jackson, the capital of Mississippi, yeah. out in the boons of nowhere, and went to a small private high school called Rankin Academy in a star Mississippi, which is actually where Faith Hill is from, believe it or not, the country singer, if you've heard of her. Um, so yeah, went there, lived a year, and uh, complete culture shock. And you have to remember back in the 90s, there was no technology. You know, there was a phone, and you could call home, but it was so expensive that you wouldn't be able to do it. I bought these Sprint prepaid phone cards that were $10 each, which yeah. was a lot mm -hmm. back in the mid-90s. And I was, I was allowed to call my parents once a month with that card. And it lasted six minutes for $10. Six minutes a month. And then I was like, see you in a month. And then I could talk <laughs> with them for six minutes again a month. So this was, I was isolated. Hmm. Out in the middle of nowhere in this crazy religious, overly racist uh, area that you can possibly imagine. I heard the N-word probably 30 times every day. Because I went to a private Christian school, which is the way the South has sort of preserved segregation. They just have the private school system where the white kids go. I'm sorry, I'm being a little honest about it here, but that's how it is. Oh and God. so I went to a, basically a white school in the middle of a state that's about 50% black or maybe 45. I, I can't remember the statistics. So this is very, very black area of the US, but I went to this Christian private high school, played on the basketball team, did took a lot of courses and then graduated eventually and and it was it was crazy I lived with an american family where my host dad was a retired veteran from from the first gulf war and my host mom was a retired nurse i think and then i had a mm -hmm. host brother 16 we lived together and i lived there and basically didn't talk to my parents wrote letters every week and then phone call for six minutes once a month so this is this was quite a different way to be uh, to be abroad at that point. Hard to imagine. Yeah, and I was like, why did why did they send me here? I felt so sorry for myself. <laughs> I could have been in the beaches in California, or Florida, and then I go to Hickville, USA. But it's uh, but later on, I wouldn't change it for the world. I would not change it for the world. It's uh, it was definitely a difficult experience at times, but I I think I I came out. Uh, having learned a lot, at least, about myself and, and the U.S. as well. So how did you get along with the people at, at your private Christian school? <laughs> I got along with them fine. I mean, this was... Uh, there, are, there are very nice people. I mean, if you... Oftentimes in Denmark, at least, we frown upon 
Republicans in Denmark. This is Republican high country. White people in the deep, dirty South in a private Christian academy. Republican. <laughs> and this is very different from the values that I grew up with. And I definitely, I had to get used to listening to the N-word 30 times a day. Because in Denmark, oh, you know, black people are being discriminated against in the U.S., which is true. Uh, but but having to to live with I mean these are this is the offspring of ex clan members basically, a lot of them had uh, people or um, had family in the in the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, why uh, do I know that? Because they told me. Um, There's this guy on uh, in my classroom. I'll tell you a story, and he uh, his name was Kenny, and he was this big burly guy with cowboy boots. And wore proudly the mascot from the University of Mississippi, Ole Miss, which is a rebel, sort of a, a <laughs> celebrating the, the historical past in the U.S. And Kenny, he was like, "Hey, Rasmus, how are you doing?" You know, he didn't he didn't mind talking to me. And mm -hmm. I was like, we talked about uh, Halloween came around, and maybe five of the kids dressed up in a Ku Klux Klan oh costumes. And I was like, "What the fuck is this? This is so weird." And then I was like, yeah, you know what, I, my family, Kenny told me, my family are from, they're clan, ex-clan members. And it was like, yeah, we're Erasmus, I remember one time I lived in, a, can't remember, I'm not going to say the exact city, in Mississippi. And I, I was about three years old. I walked outside one morning, and there was a black guy hanging from the tree. Of course, he didn't use the word black guy. I don't know if this is true, but this is the story he told me. And I have no reason to believe it wasn't true. So this is this is where <laughs> Whitey White Rasmus from uh, from Fredericia, Denmark, um, was suddenly placed in the middle of the deep, dirty South and uh, had to grow up very quickly. Wow, so, what an American uh, dream! <laughs> <laughs> but there was more to it than that. So the people in school, you asked me, did I, I got along with them very well? And there was an adjustment period. I'm not gonna lie. But after that, and you start, I mean, now you just say, you know what, I'm just going to blend in. And then I'm going to go back home, and then I'm going to laugh at them later on if there's something that I, I don't like. But it actually turned out to be, to be very nice. And I played on the, on the high school basketball team. And uh, <laughs> that took my mind off the, all the clan stories. <laughs> and this is the mid-90s. Of course, there weren't all the hate crimes. There's a few here and there, but not, of course, not compared to what it used to be like in the in the South, in the, in the mm. U.S. So Mississippi was a very, very rough state, as, uh, as everybody knows, has ever studied a little bit of, of American history. Yeah, I, I, uh, I wanted to graduate and uh, to be, become a high school graduate from the States. And one of the requirements is that you have to take Mississippi history. But I didn't have that as a course. I had psychology, government, all this stuff. Mm -hmm business. So I was like, yeah, they would let me graduate if I read the textbook, which was a history book of Mississippi, and then I would have to go to the principal's office and tell him everything I knew about Mississippi history. I didn't think about it. I just read it, and then he questioned me, and I passed, and so on. The, the chapter on slavery was maybe half a page in that entire book. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so uh, there was a bit of a... Uh, Erasing the historical past. At least you didn't have to talk about it that yeah. much. <laughs> right, right, right. right. Yeah, it's so probably it's a... typical in, in these days. Yeah. Well, we know that you eventually ended up in a little finer place in the States. You afterwards studied in the Washington, D.C., right? Yeah, that's right. That was the PhD? Yeah. So, so I applied to, uh, to graduate schools or PhD programs from Ohio. And 
eventually the choice came down between to Indiana University, University of Chicago, Michigan State University, and Georgetown University. And Georgetown was the best fit for me. Plus, they offered me money. Um, that <laughs> helps too. People do not set your get yourself into huge debts when you study linguistics, because <laughs> you will never be able to pay it off with what they <laughs> with what what they pay you afterwards. So, uh, so they offered me a full full scholarship there, and I went and I I taught again, the exact same course I had taught six times in Ohio. Mm. But that so, must have been totally different. Yeah, it was it was very very different. I, I lived in the most affluent area of the city, which is just west of the, not the most affluent area of the city. I don't know. There are many rich areas, but a very affluent area where I had one room. I stayed with an elderly lady, and I had yeah, I had one room, and I paid something like twelve hundred and fifty dollars per month for a room. This is in the this is two thousand and five. So you can uh, you can imagine that's I can't even do the math. It's like expensive even now. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it was uh, it was it was very expensive, but it was completely different. I mean, this was um, this is where I started to really see the contrasts in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Of course, I'd seen the difference between the Deep South and Ohio, where I also studied for three years. But there was more like a liberal college town that was isolated, so really a bubble. Um, not really connected to mainland USA as you, as you would otherwise see. But then you got to DC, very close to the center of power. And a lot of um, government people lived in that area. And I lived maybe five, five kilometers from the White House, basically. Oh, wow. And the Pentagon was right there as well. I very close to the Potomac River that goes through Washington. And I, I lived there within elderly lady who had, there was, I can't remember if there were five or six floors in that house. It was probably as big as this building we're in right now. No, <laughs> maybe not that big, but it was, uh, it was huge. And so I was there, went to, went to school at, at Georgetown and uh, did my PhD. Three years of coursework and then a couple of exams, a lot of exams. And then, uh, then I wrote my dissertation, which was on, um, African-American English intonation in Washington, D.C. So rhythm, <laughs> prosody, how the melody of your voice goes goes up and down. and uh, Extremely nerdy. So I wrote, <laughs> wrote 260 pages about a very, very small linguistic wow. phenomenon. And, uh, I like this very much. You should do this. I would not <laughs> recommend anybody doing this. You know, it's Mishka's struggle now. She is struggling. She has two, 10 pages over with her master thesis. So I think this would be the thing for her. <laughs> I think you should do that for sure. And your thesis advisor, I used to live with him. We can, uh, I don't know if we, if this has to get on uh, on tape. Anas Bogwasmussen, who's in the American studies, he's a associate professor in that uh, that program. Well, if we... If if you're willing to tell us some stories from your student life, we didn't just air it after my thesis is done. <laughs> Maybe you can invite me back and I'll, I'll give you a couple of stories. That, uh, we we'll can make, invite you both. <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make your faces melt. No. <laughs> no, but it was actually because Anders is a scholar who's written a lot about the, the American uh, Civil War. And it was actually on a trip that he and I did together where we visited my host family in Mississippi where he, uh, he got his idea for his book, Ikri for Lincoln, where, because uh, we're in Mississippi, and it was, ah, Rasmus, can we go to Vicksburg? There's a battlefield there. And 
Anders always wanted to go to battlefields. He, was, he would party like crazy at night, but he liked battlefields. And hey, sure, let's go there. Vicksburg is a cool city. It's in a beautiful area. And uh, let's go look at all the crazy Confederate monuments that are out there. It's fine. And we're actually, and they had a, a database in the visitor, visitor center where you could look up uh, family names. Um, and I looked up mine, which is Nielsen. And I was like, oh, all these Nielsens came down. And I was like, oh, damn. Somebody should write something about uh, Nielsen's <laughs> or Danes who fought on, in the U.S. Civil War. And, and, uh, and uh, 15 years later, Anders wrote that book. And uh, he wrote the book. He gets all the credit. I get a little bit of credit for serving him the idea. Um, so you're welcome, Ra uh, Anders. I haven't seen any royalties yet. Uh, but whenever you <laughs> decide to pay me what I'm owed, then uh, that's fine. No. <laughs> Seems like you had quite a lot of fun in the U.S. Oh, uh, yeah. How, how's student life in the U.S.? It's very different from, from Tell us Denmark. Tell some of the stories. And it's, um, it's extremely busy, at least the schools that I went to. Um, Ohio University, which was on the quarter system back then, which means there are four quarters in the year, but you don't do the summer semester on, or the summer quarter unless you're behind. So you have 10 weeks to complete an entire course. So it's like... Week two, first test or first paper. It's like mm -hmm. always something to hand in, which you probably know a little better from, from, from your own home countries. I don't know if, or if they're similar to Denmark. That's more similar to Denmark. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then at Georgetown, which was just a hardcore research school where I worked all the time. It's, I gave myself half of Saturday off, but then otherwise I worked the entire week, every mm -hmm. day on full day Sundays. Um, just to get to get the work done. It was an unbelievable amount of workload, which I'm not going to do ever again. Sorry, as to you, you're going to have to pay me a little more if you want me to work uh, 100 hours a week. <laughs> just kidding. I love my salary. <laughs> I just keep expecting that more will come later on during the month, but I guess I guess that's it. No. You're ruining our hopes. What, what if some aspiring <laughs> professors are listening. <laughs> yeah. You're ruining our hopes. That's the greatest thing a professor can ever be told. <laughs> no, let me tell you this. It's much better than your SU that you're getting. So don't, don't worry about that. It's because I have three kids to feed, you know? They eat a lot, those little bastards. So uh, that's, that's why I'm whining about myself. <laughs> Well, it's <laughs> probably when we're gonna have a break. <laughs> Keep hope. <laughs> Let's find the hopes back. <laughs> so yeah, but Washington was extremely interesting. Spend all the extra money I made on watching basketball. Now I could finally get to watching basketball. I picked PhD programs basically based on where there would be an NBA team nearby. It seems and, like uh, everything in your life was... Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, forget linguistics. <laughs> it's oh, basketball. No, no. Basketball was... I knew uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched maybe 35 games with the Washington Wizards while I, I lived there. And, uh, yeah, that was cool. But now I'm turning into ice hockey instead. I'm watching that more now. So you're not involved in bas with basketball that much? I, I watch it every mm. now and then when I have the time, but rarely full games because I, I don't usually have time for that. So much more with, uh, with ice hockey now because my son plays for, for Odense. So that's, 
That's fun. So you're raising a little hockey player. Yeah, I think he's raising me more than <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we've been playing a lot of hockey during these lockdown times. So uh, oh, yeah. get active at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> so yeah, so that's that's what I've been been doing. And then uh, while I was writing my thesis PhD or my dissertation, I applied to SDU and got the job. And I've been here ever since. So um, I tell students all of these, all of these, I give them a lot of career advice, but basically I don't know anything what I'm talking about. I got my first job that I applied to. So I have, <laughs> so I, yeah, you should lose hope on that one. No. <laughs> Again? <laughs> no, that's not true. We're, we're, I have great students. So I teach mainly in the American Studies program and in the Kent Nicole program, the Business, Language and Culture program. Mm. So, yeah, you teach negotiation. Mm -hmm. um, so that's still quite a different to linguistics. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very different. But then again, I didn't find it to be that different. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was basically, I got negotiation or I was asked to teach it when I got to SDU as one of these jobs that nobody wanted, you know, and when you're at the bottom of the hierarchy, <laughs> Rasmus, we got a job for you. Yes, sir. <laughs> you got to teach negotiation. What? I've never done that before. No idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And um, yeah, it turned out to be a wonderful opportunity. And I taught it and I was like, yeah, you know what? I wouldn't mind developing this course, um, but I need training badly because I mm. always, you know, loved going to school and studied a lot and I was like is there any any funds I can apply to where, where I can I can go somewhere abroad and get training um, especially when it comes to culture and negotiation so I've been at a uh, Harvard Law School now five times done the most advanced uh, course in uh, in negotiation and the most advanced course in uh, conflict management oh wow so so what the students at SDU are getting is a watered down version of that so I'm, that's my training from Harvard Law School um, so I guess I must go to elitist universities in the states so no I was extremely fortunate that the money was there at the time when I applied I don't think anybody will ever be able to apply for those funds in the climate we live in and right now at the universities but it was uh, good for me and uh, hopefully the Nicole program benefits from it so I completely redesigned the bachelor course called negotiation theory and skills and then I created an upper level master's course called negotiating globally which is which is a course that Anna took I um, did yeah <laughs> and that's why I was in, invited here and then I supervise uh, master theses about seven a year negotiation and especially about international negotiation and culture. And then I also once a year, I train a union rep representatives from one of the biggest uh, unions for academics called Dansk Miki Stefani in Denmark. So it's uh, so I, I educate the managers at SDU and then I get the union representatives at, uh, in my spare time. So then my... Uh, so then they actually my, negotiate there's, together. There's, there's balance. <laughs> my, uh, my identity can be... Uh, be fully formed and uh, so I can have people from both sides of the table <laughs> so that's so yeah so I teach negotiate actually I spend most of my time now teaching negotiation mm -hmm. um, has it rubbed off on you are you better at negotiating in your private life myself uh -huh. depends on who I'm negotiating with I want to ask. <laughs> 
So my, yeah, my wife always says, yeah, hey, your kids are acting up. I thought that you taught this. <laughs> Go straighten them out. You said you had the most advanced conflict management course. <laughs> yeah, but I'm off. I'm off work. So sorry. <laughs> I can't help you with that one. It's so you don't be... use it on your kids. <laughs> yeah. No, I've definitely become a better negotiator myself, I think. And it has definitely been extremely useful with the, the big negotiations that I've done. Um, nothing major for major companies, but I've negotiated all our private deals so buying a house and bank and uh, my wife is a medical doctor and when she bought uh, she became a partner in a medical practice i negotiated that deal as well Mm. so so you actually use the theorists i like absolutely yeah Yeah. so do they actually work uh they uh, they work very well Mm -hmm. they actually do they uh, i would say that uh, they've been extremely uh, successful but of course you have to uh, be able to apply the theories uh, in order to do it but they worked for me um, nice. Good to know. I say. But then again, if you're just willing to pay enough, then <laughs> you can you can land most deals anyway. So maybe we paid too much. I don't know. That's something. Well, I think it's time to dig up the notes from from the tours you did. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I kept educating myself. I read another book. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I really enjoyed the course, and I think my classmates did as well. So. Oh, that's good. So thank, I think you. It was, thank you for saying that. It is very, yeah, it, you downstreamed it very well. <laughs> <laughs> thank, you. thank you. I think a lot of students like it because it seems much more practical. It's something that you can apply immediately. Yeah. So we read the theories and we love the theories, but only for the purpose of actually being able to apply them to something practical. A skill, especially if you're in the lang- business language and culture program, only having only or mostly theoretical subjects. And then suddenly you get negotiation where you get to work with yourself, look into the deepest, darkest corners of your own soul. Uh, a bit surprising <laughs> at the beginning, yeah. but very nice in the end. Yeah. I think for I think that's why a lot of students like it. I don't really want to give myself more credit than I deserve, but I think that they get the opportunity to work with themselves and also get a better understanding of how they react in conflict situations, mm. which is something we just do automatically without really thinking about it. And now uh, all of a sudden you have a class where you're forced to think about it and, and reflect upon it. So that's what Anna did and wrote her global negotiator portfolio. So that's... Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, should we reveal the grade? At the, no. <laughs> we can. <laughs> well, you seem proud about it, so that's a good one. <laughs> Was it a good one? Uh, damn it, I missed that one. <laughs> You seem to remember a lot about your students. How does it work? Do you yeah. actually remember the students? Because I can't really wrap my head around it. You teach so many people. Yeah, and it's difficult. And especially names is very difficult because, uh, because at least the courses I've taught until this point, you don't have to be there. You don't have to be in class. So you don't get to know student names that well, as you did in the U.S. Because in the U.S. you had to do call every day mm-hmm. for class. Is Rachel Willis here? Oh, there's Rachel. It's and good then practice. It's good practice. And all of a sudden, you know all your students' names. But at the STU, where you... I don't know how big our class was. 80 people, maybe. Yeah. And then it's very 40 difficult. 40 present. But I, I have a little bit of brain man uh, in me when it comes to faces. Mm-hmm. So I remember faces extremely well. Um, and I remember uh, the interactions that I've had with people for some weird reason. Maybe it's my linguistic training, what people, how people talk, the way you interact. And um, and then, yeah, then when Anna wrote, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember Anna. She was a, a student, a very nice student from the 
from, from the Czech Republic. And, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, Anna, for sure. I'll, I'll come talk when it's, uh, when it's Anna. It's no problem. She showed up for class, so it's not. <laughs> Show up for class, kids. Then, uh, <laughs> yeah, then you'll get benefits like this. <laughs> Getting... Really, really yeah. bad stories for half an hour. So yeah, but how do you feel about it? it? Like, it's not mandatory to be like present in a class. Do you think it has some impact over the classes? To be present, or yeah, that you don't actually need to be present here. Yeah, I think I think the Danish system was based on a different time, where mm. students were probably a little more independent. At least that's what the older generation tells us. I'm I'm not sure I buy it completely. But at least there is some kind of social negative evaluation for not showing up, not contributing, not being in class and so on. But students nowadays, they're much more transactional. It's like, what do I have to do? When is the exam? Okay, that's what I'm going to do. And then um, I probably won't be there a lot of the times because I don't have to be there. Hmm. So I think the students we have now are maybe they have outsmarted the system a little bit, knowing what they can get away with. And... Um, I think it's unfortunate because you can definitely tell sometimes uh, in exam situations that students haven't worked with it. And especially a class like negotiation, if you don't practice, you will not become a better negotiator. That's like reading about football or soccer. And it's, oh yeah, now I know everything about soccer, but you have to practice. You have to do the exercises. And we do a lot of exercises, especially in the bachelor course, but also at the master's level. So it's it's unfortunate, but it's I mean there's nothing you can do about it. Of course you can change the system, and it's changing slowly, because it's something that has become it's flying under the radar at the at the ministries or the ministry, uh, and meaning that now they want students to be more uh, actively engaged in their studies and spend more hours on it. So especially at the bachelor programs now, you will see that students have to be there. So the system is changing now. And I think in the future it will be the same thing for master's students. Mm -hmm. Fine. Then, I mean, it will be more the, like the American system where you have to be there and there's going to be a lot more control. I think this, the system needs that because it's this complete freedom that students have had. They really haven't always been able to manage it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, do we just want to create drones that show up and really don't want to be there and so on so it's would be wonderful if we could find a combination that some things you have to be there for but also that you can actually work on something that you're interested in and are passionate about as a student without having the teachers to say oh read this do that you know so get more of the the independent um, the independence into the system as well that we've had mm -hmm. For many years so maybe a combination of it but if it's to the point where we measure everything all the time and assign grades for everything because this is what i did in the u.s i've taken 44 courses in linguistics at the institutions i've been at the three universities 44 courses and for every single course or maybe there's been five papers and Mm -hmm. It was just, oh, I can't do this anymore. And <laughs> you have somebody tell you where to be all the time and to sit down and... Pardon me, what, when did you count that? <laughs> I think when I applied for the job. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that sounds like yeah, something yeah. you did before. Who counts actually <laughs> yeah. what... Uh, yeah, I think I did that because it was part of my application. Okay. <laughs> because what they were looking for at that point was somebody who could teach broadly as well mm -hmm. in different mm -hmm. degree programs. So yeah, 44 courses. <laughs> Bitches. There you go. <laughs>
Right. <coughs> so, um, so, yeah, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> you can then slowly. Well, I can see we could talk for another hour. But <laughs> I think yeah. we should definitely invite you back because I have loads of questions I didn't ask. I wanted sure. to ask that if you met somebody interesting in Washington when you lived like five miles from... Somebody interesting? From the White House. You mean famous people or... <laughs> if you saw that face. Is <laughs> this a student question? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've I've seen a lot of... Of course, Georgetown is a huge basketball school, which is oh. why I wanted to go there as well. So if you remember, when basketball really became world a worldwide sport, mm -hmm. it was after the 92 Olympics uh, where the, with the dream team. And there was a player on that team, Patrick Ewing, who went to Georgetown. Because in the US, you play sports, usually through college, if you want to mm -hmm. go into the pros. So Georgetown is a huge basketball school. So I've, when I was there, there were a lot of basketball players. If somebody knows the NBA, so Roy Hibbert played for the, for the Indiana Pacers, Jeff Green. Um, but then Allen Iverson went there as well, Alonzo Mourning. A lot of really, really famous basketball players. Um, so I met, basically, because Georgetown is a very small school. It's a small private school, so you see everybody, basically, just walking around campus. Um, who else did I see? Oh, Bradley Cooper went to uh, Georgetown. Yeah, yep, for the students, the, for the ladies out there. <laughs> Maybe some guys fancy Bradley Cooper as well. Sorry, I'm not trying to be biased here. I don't think anybody can not fancy Bradley Cooper. No. <laughs> <laughs> but then just the faculty at Georgetown that you would see walking around. So Bill Clinton got his bachelor there. I saw him uh, when he was there. Um, Obama came, didn't see him. Uh, Madeleine Albright was a professor there in the School of Foreign Service. George Tenet, who was uh, uh, in the CIA, the director of the CIA, I think. Sorry, American study students, if I get this wrong. So there are a lot of famous people. Um, who else did I meet um, or see? Well, I think the there's a, this, I, I guess he's famous. So my my dissertation advisor, Natalie Schilling, was here a couple of years ago doing uh, doing a talk. Um, she's uh, in addition to being a fantastic scholar and uh, really really uh, a great scholar in the field of social linguistics. She also happens to uh, to have a boyfriend um, whose name is James Fitzgerald, and that's the guy who helped catch the Unibomber. Um, so if you watched uh, Manhunt on uh, Netflix, Fitz, uh, did you watch that? Not yet. Yeah. So <laughs> what that whole show is based upon is Fitz, James Fitzgerald, this guy who brought linguistics into the FBI. And the Unibomber wow. was basically caught from, uh -huh. uh, or not base. Part of the evidence was his linguistic evidence that mm -hmm. they could recognize who wrote these letters. And James Fitzgerald, Jim, uh, I call him because I know famous people. Um, <laughs> he did his master's degree at Georgetown because he was often invited in to do court, uh, to court trials where he would be an expert witness, but he didn't have a background in linguistics. So he went to Georgetown, and we had the same supervisor. He hooked up with his supervisor. <laughs> nice job, Jim. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, so 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 we did a. Uh, <laughs> can we edit this out? <laughs> <laughs> but 
But uh, he's much older than me, so I guess it's, it's fine. Hey, for many years, male <laughs> professors have taken advantage of their power situation and hooked up with female students. It's about time that a female professor hooked up with a male student. So I think, uh, <laughs> so I joke sometimes that they're out of the only two straight guys in the program, which was me and Jim. Then, uh, so my supervisor had 50-50% chance of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was I, I had a girlfriend at that time, so I I couldn't do it. But, uh, but sorry, I'm I'm getting off topic here. But <laughs> you have to keep that laughing there. That's one of <laughs> wonderful so yeah anyway after that netflix series came out detailing the life of uh, of uh, the james fitzgerald character uh who's played by what's his name famous australian actor and he was in terminator as well i'm just... bad with actors okay sam worthington exactly sam worthington Thank you. Yeah, so he plays Fitz uh, in that series, and they have been here to Natalie have been here to to visit four times, I think three four times, and uh, Jim has been here twice. So I actually know I know him very well. So he had a whole career in the the FBI and uh, helped catch the Unabomber and got uh, got very famous for for that. Yeah. Great. So, any other famous people? Well, you see, you meet basketball players all the time, <laughs> hockey players. Okay, next episode with Rasmus is gonna be only yeah, about sorry. basketball. Uh, this is gonna. This is a <laughs> Once you get me started, I just talk. I just talk. You know that, Anna? You, uh, <laughs> uh, we enjoyed it, yeah. but we will have to cut you slowly. <laughs> But before we do so, we have a last question for you. Sure. We've asked several last, our last guests this question, and it's because we want to know what makes you go in your life. So what is your life hack? If you have anything that works for you and that you could maybe <sighs> share. I mean, like motivational? Motivational, whatever. Yeah, we, what we also heard go? a life hack that you brush your teeth while you're on a toilet, that this makes you save time, so... Please, oh, please don't say basketball. Don't say basketball. Yeah, I'll, ice hockey. No. <laughs> <laughs> what makes me go? My kids, I think. Mm. Love my kids. That's a part of my identity now. Father first, and then scholar second. Mm. Husband third or fourth? No, I can't remember. So. <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart. We're gonna you. deliver this episode <laughs> to your house. <laughs> yeah. I think at this point it's I'm so busy that I just basically respond to my surroundings. Don't really have much time to sit down and mm. and think. Which is why this was a wonderful opportunity to uh, relive some of the old memories from my from my past. So thank you for that. Well, thank, thank you. you. It was yeah. a pleasure. It was <laughs> a great time. We are done for today, and we are done for the first season of Humans of SDU. Unbelievable! Did you like it? Tell us in reviews or on social media. Do you want more? Worry not, we are not saying goodbye forever. Our regular interview episodes will start again with the new semester in September. And on top of that, we are preparing some fun bonuses which will come out throughout the summer. Wednesday is the day, you know the drill. 
Have an amazing summer and let's keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook so that you don't miss all the fun we have prepared.